Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founders of Marketplace Valet, Laura and Will Land. Now, a lot of businesses rely on third-party logistics to streamline their products, reaching multiple different marketplaces. But I don't think I've heard of anything as comprehensive as Laura and Will's enterprise. Struggling as recent graduates, Laura and her husband Will took to flipping phone accessories to get by, eventually trying to get their excess stock out of their living room and onto eBay. The experience taught them so much about e-commerce that they started a successful company on that venture alone. But when they met entrepreneur Justin Boggs, Laura and Will took it even further. Today, Marketplace Valet exists as what they call a 4PL, going further than streamlining, streamlining companies' transition to digital distribution, but also offering its own comp- comprehensive support service and everything from warehousing to brand protection. Market Valet, Marketplace Valet is growing like crazy. So Laura and Will, let's get straight to it. Thank you for being here today. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, so we mentioned just briefly in the intro a little bit of your background, a little bit of how we got here, but I'd love to hear in your own words, how did this company get started? Yeah, so kind of like you mentioned, we um, kind of went out of college. Will actually started a company uh, selling B2B phone service. So actually selling, uh, you know, he had a contract with Sprint. And he was selling a service to businesses and kind of as one of his incentives to get people to switch over to his company, he would give away free cell phone accessories. So he kind of was sourcing those out of downtown LA, um, would constantly end up with excess um, product. Um, We were, you know, like I said, young and trying to make rent and eBay was up and coming. And uh, we kind of started just like, hey, let's just put this product on eBay, you know, see what happens. I mean, in the and I mean, honestly, within six months to a year, we were we were making more selling this excess product on eBay than we were working our full time jobs. Wow! So it was kind of a really quick ramp up. We were kind of one of the very first phone accessory uh, sellers on eBay. You know, Amazon wasn't even in play yet. This was back in two thousand one, two thousand two. Um, so kind of over you know, kind of the course of two to three years, kind of transitioned away from our jobs and, you know, this kind of became our full-time thing was, you know, purchasing, you know, accessories, accessories wholesale, uh, reselling them on eBay. Um, did that for quite a few years, maybe five years, maybe six, till about 06 when kind of the market became really saturated for kind of the generic product. Um, and at that time kind of, you know, we had to make the transition onto Amazon. Amazon was now more than, you know, a book reseller marketplace. Mm. Um, and from there kind of, you know, once the market was very saturated with like kind of this generic product, um, started to develop our own brands, started to do our own designs, do our, all of our own trademarks. Um, and we created two self accessory brands. So we had Empire and Imperial, um, just kind of different price points, different products that we produced, uh, started doing all of our own designs in house. We had marketing teams, you know, research and development teams. We were doing all of our, you know, moved our manufacturing to overseas. We were, you know, importing all of our product at that point um, and continued to do that for, you know, another six or seven years. Um, extremely successful with that business. We were actually on the 8 5,000 three times with that business also. 
Wow. Um, so it was great until what about 2000? I'll go six years back now. So we're one 2015 or so um, is when there was then the giant influx of uh, actual Chinese sellers onto the marketplaces and the direct shipping from China came into play. And that kind of took a lot of our margins away again, kind of got um, the market got really saturated again. And, you know, with all the direct shipping to China kind of took away our advantage of doing our own manufacturing and pricing continued to fall and um, kind of, you know, hit a really good peak with that business and then started to see a decline. Um, and it kind of declined over a course, maybe three to four years. And we were kind of seeing shrinking sales, shrinking sales. Um, and we had created this entire ecosystem, you know, built for marketplaces and e-commerce and, you know, direct consumer shipping. We had, you know, a 30 square foot, 30,000 square foot warehouse, 50 employees, um, and, you know, faced with, you know, shrinking sales and shrinking, you know, market share, um, randomly met Justin through, um, YEC, the Young Entrepreneur Council. And, uh, Justin was kind of like, wow, you guys have all this capacity and you have, you know, this business model that obviously works. You obviously know direct consumer, you know, selling on marketplaces, you know, can we plug any product into this model and will it have the same result? Mm. We were kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> let's give it a try. So Justin came in and kind of brought some products to the table and we put them through the machine as we like to call it now, where we're like, you know, can, can you put anything into the machine in the front and get the same result at the end? And the answer was yes. <laughs> so you know, that was about five years ago and we started kind of, we pivoted the business at that point from being a cell phone accessory manufacturer, reseller online to becoming a consulting agency slash fulfillment firm and kind of went from, we'll call even Justin as our partner client number one to, I mean, we've now worked with over 150 brands and help them, you know, bring product, you know, to marketplaces. A lot of them maybe were either already on Amazon and eBay, but just weren't doing it very well. And we've also had clients who, you know, never even, you know, dipped their toe in the water of marketplaces. And, you know, successfully, like I said, have helped 150 brands, you know, kind of conquer the beast that is marketplaces and everything from, we like to say from A to Z, you know, from, you know, product content management all the way to, you know, fulfillment to the end consumer. End consumer. Wow. What a cool ride. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you guys had a few key pivots that were kind of in different parts of a wave, right? So yeah. you first had your phone service business, uh, Will, and you started to see, oh man, we're actually getting more traction reselling, you know, these accessories than this. And that's like a positive trend. And so you pivoted mm -hmm. into that positive trend. And then you guys saw the market changing and it got disrupted and it started to decline sales and market share and that kind of thing. And so now you're on the on the other side of the, the discouraging news, right? Yep. And you made a key pivot again. How hard were those decisions on, on both of them for you? To make the pivot, to bet on the thing you were seeing that's working, and to leave the thing you had been seeing that was working for something new? Those are great questions. And and, um, and so I think for the first, the, the first answer is, when we were, when I was, when I had a business selling Sprint services and making this transition to uh, reselling products on on eBay, that was somewhat of a no-brainer because the dollars spoke dollars and sales spoke for themselves. You know, anytime you're starting up a business from scratch, you know, there's always this this push and pull whether you know it's successful or not. And to have this side gig, as I'll call it. Um, 
financially be more successful than this business I was starting, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. I think Laura and I's goal at the time was if we can get to $300 a day in sales, um, you know, on this side gig, you know, selling, you know, these, these products on eBay, then, you know, and we're only focusing on that business from say 6 PM to midnight. What if we, you know, Laura was selling real estate. I was doing, uh, starting my business. What if we focused all that time on this side gig and what would the output be? And, uh, and again, that was a no brainer that, that cool. was fully financially driven and, and we were having fun with it. You know, we were working together and, uh, and as, um, you know, as, as husband, wife, that was, that was just a real cool benefit. Now, the second one, once you've built, you know, two brands, successful brands, um, and you put your heart and soul into it for almost a decade, trying to pivot that, you know, you have a lot more ego and pride involved and some legacy and you have, uh, you know, um, employees that have been with you for, for so long and trying to do this second pivot was, was very challenging. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think there's some, for anyone who's ever um, exited a business or anything like that, um, there was some, uh, some real factors when we had to look at ourselves and be like, look, everyone knows us as the cell phone, the Amazon cell phone accessory guys and girls. How do we lose that, uh, that identity mm-hmm. and become uh, something completely different? And that, I think for me, that was something that was really hard to embrace. Um, and, you know, going from success to literally almost starting over again, that was a hard pill to swallow. Sure. Um, and, and it just took a lot of, I, I think a lot of our affirmation came from the success of our clients. So when we were successful helping our new clients, you know, even our first round of, of clients, helping them be successful that's where we kind of got our mojo and our, and our good feelings back and be like, okay. And then we went from being the cell phone accessory Kings and Queens to the Amazon Kings and Queens. <laughs> and then, you know, we, we were able to re-identify with, with, you know, um, a business personality again. Yeah. And, and that's been the road ever since. So, but I, I will say that was a good, maybe a year, year and a half long struggle with yeah, this push and pull. At least. Yeah. That, that was a really, really, really hard transition. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still have like our, you know, our shirts that we made, our cell phone cases that we made, you know, around and you know, I can actually see them in my day-to-day life and knowing that that is the past that was difficult to. It's hard. To yeah, that's, you know, that's like you said, it's, you know, when you're looking at a business pivot, the, you know, when it's a successful pivot, when it's like, oh, this is doing better. Those are, that's easy, right. <laughs> you know, but it's really hard when you've built something, it's, it's hard not to follow it all the way down the rabbit hole. Yeah, you yeah. know, and that's, that's a big lesson you have to learn as an entrepreneur is, you know, that's that, that when to cut your losses type of thing. Yeah. And when to say, you know what, I got to stop, I got to stop chasing this. And, so and that's true. a hard one. So true. Yeah. I heard, um, Henry Cloud talked about this once. He's the guy that wrote the book Boundaries and mm-hmm. Boundaries for Kids, Boundaries for Bosses, yeah. Boundaries for Everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but he did a lot of work with executives. And he said what he consistently saw was the hardest challenge for them was identifying what he would call necessary endings. Yeah. So yeah. there'd be something in the business, whether it's the business itself or a product, that for whatever reason they were emotionally attached to. 
mm-hmm. and yeah. like couldn't reconcile the fact that this is no longer making money and we need to put resources elsewhere. elsewhere and yeah. that it was often an emotional journey mm-hmm. that we had to get them to go through. And that's yeah. what you guys have mentioned, like the identity part of that, the I'm sure even the feeling of like, but we put so much into this, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. all the time, all the brainstorming, all the execution, and now the market has changed. And yeah, how did, how did you deal with the emotional side of that? It, it, it's rough. I mean, I'd say that there's, I mean, we, we, we're still scarred yeah, <laughs> I'd say for, sure. for sure. I mean, that's, especially as an entrepreneur, I mean, we've, we've been incredibly lucky. I mean, you you know, you get lucky, you know, when you build that business, the first business one, you know, and like, we've yeah. been incredibly lucky that we've done it twice, you know, but there's, st- you know, there's still those emotional battle wounds of being an entrepreneur and watching something kind of take that turn. And, you know, I think the first time around you wake up every day, like this is going to keep going. This is going to keep growing. You know, there's no, there's nothing in our way. We're going to keep going. And, you know, the second time around you're like, a lot more cautious, you know, and it's like, yeah. okay, no, your, your, your risk, you know, your risk tolerance reduces <laughs> significantly, <laughs> you know, after you've gone through that first failure. Um, and I think we still see that to this day where, you know, maybe opportunities arise and our risk tolerance is so much lower than it used to be. Has that been helpful or hurtful or a mixture of both? I think a mixture of both. I think for us bringing Justin in as a partner was kind of, you know, a lifesaver godsend because he's definitely pushed us to take risk. I don't think we would have. And I think maybe if we didn't take those risks, we wouldn't have, you know, been able to be successful a second time around. I think we might've been crippled by our fear and bringing in somebody new with a new perspective was extremely helpful. Yeah. I mean, look, fear is a real thing Mm -hmm. and will impact, uh, you know, your, your day-to-day decisions, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, being, um, you know, having failures in the past and, um, and it is one of those things that haunts you and it's not easy to get out of your own way sometimes. Yeah. And so like Justin, like Laura said, bringing Justin into the mix, he was kind of this, um, this check and balance, this yin and yang to us yeah. where, you know, he's so, he's so energetic and ready to, you know, to push things and he kept our enthusiasm up. So, you know, we relied on him a lot for, uh, for some motivation. positive motivation yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious you mentioned briefly, and maybe this isn't how you always talk about it, but you said it was hard having a failure. Mm-hmm. And we here's the interesting thing I've noticed about humans, myself, you, everybody, <laughs> is that we don't just go through experiences. We tell ourselves stories about our experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So we yeah. narrate it. We bring subjectivity into objectivity, and we we create the hero or the villain. We create this was a success or a failure, right? Yeah. And I'm curious, do you think back on that as the story you've told yourself that that was a failure? I don't know. It's a, it, you know and that, that's a hard one. And, and I think I, I think I tend to be a little more negative than Willis. <laughs> and that's just personality. I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, and I think that was a big thing, too, is, you know, we, we worked a lot on, like, um, separating, yes, that business venture failed but we weren't a failure, you know, and, and I think we've done a lot of work emotionally on kind of that separation of, um, you know, did that specific business model continue to work? No, you know, so do you want to label it with failed? I guess you can, but did we fail as entrepreneurs? No. And, Correct. and I think here, here's, here's the biggest takeaway that, you know, maybe I'm, I'm the, always the optimist mm-hmm. of the group, yeah. but um the biggest thing we took away from what we 
say the, the older business or the failure is all everything that we learned, yeah. you know, um, we, it was the building blocks for marketplace valet, okay. whether it was, you know, how we learned to really optimize for Amazon and, uh, and be involved in everything from A to Z with, with logistics, um, you know, that all came with us, Yep. you know, the only thing that didn't come with us was our two brands, yeah. you know, and now we, you know, so what, like Laura said, was the, was that business, did it eventually fizzle out and fail? Yes. But man, that was just a stepping stone exactly. yeah. and that, you know, learning from your past experiences, mistakes and, um, and just overall uh, success and taking that with you to the, to the next step is is vital you can't just wash that out of your brain and be like okay what's next you know yeah so. yeah yeah man i love that and it sounds like you have started to work on that story some right yeah. because yeah. we're so driven by that that the stories we tell ourselves produce fear or discouragement or whatever or the stories we tell ourselves produce courage uh, growth mindset you know that kind of thing exactly. I'll, right. I'll just tell you listening to your story so far like dude, this is a success story like what you're telling <laughs> the overall narrative is that you guys work really well together. You're very mm -hmm. smart and you have the ability to pivot when necessary. And to me, you're describing to me a success story that's still continuing. It is not broken Thank up you. into, well, that succeeded and that failed. And now we're finding some success again. I'm like, no, you're describing an overarching theme, but yeah. you guys as being great business uh, owners and founders um, so I just want to encourage you in that guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, appreciate I appreciate that. that. Yeah. And as an entrepreneur, you never hear that enough. <laughs> you know, nah, of you course. Don't often get the accolades. So it's very nice. Thank you. So well, that's why I'm keyed in, man. I'm an entrepreneur yeah. myself and it's freaking scary and you feel yeah. alone and you are aware more than anybody that sometimes you don't know what the hell you're doing. Right. Exactly. But we right. tend to accumulate in our brain, the losses or the deficiencies and we don't accumulate and in, in our brain the wins and the lessons and the reasons for confidence you know what yeah. i'm saying so, it's so true mm -hmm. so yeah, i'm curious to be more scarred by the negatives exactly than, you, than the positives for sure yeah man have y'all ever heard i think it was a study that came out of stanford if we can geek out on this for a second yeah um they did a study in terms of how our brain relates to different stimulus so okay. they said what they found is that our brain is like velcro when it comes into contact with things that are scary or painful, right? Mm -hmm. So a thought, a, an imagination, like what if we fail has a very sticky like effect. It, it's, it's, it's easy for you to hold on to it. And it's hard for you to detach from it, mm -hmm. right, but right. positive things like what if this works out or someone gives us a compliment, our brain is a little more like Teflon where yeah. it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Right. Mm -hmm. And they said, they think that developed as a survival mechanism that like, um, uh -huh. If we were walking through the woods back in the day, early humans, you need anything that could potentially kill you to be top of mind, right? Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah, so true. It's like, so okay, so our brain is like, don't forget, you ate that berry and it made you sick. And it like keeps it <laughs> yeah. on you, right? But yeah. now it gets in our way because we can't distinguish between danger and discomfort, right? And, yes. and so I noticed with my kids, like I was literally driving down the road one day could not get my brain off of this email I got from somebody that was made me feel so insecure and like my product sucked and whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. And I have my kids and one of them had just gone out of her way to tell me that she loved me. 
And I was like, oh, that's sweet. And then I got back to like ruminating on the on the bull crap. Yeah. And I was like, no. And so in that study, they said you can intentionally start to shift that in your brain where the quicker you detach from the negative thoughts, your brain starts to get like Teflon around those. And the more that you choose to focus mm -hmm. on the, the encouragement, the compliments, the things that are going well, it starts to have a Velcro like effect. Yeah. And so I started playing with that. Like, I'm going to sit and think about the fact that my daughter just randomly tell, tell, told me she loved me and how let that let that kind of contextualize my day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I just I, I thought that was interesting. That's super interesting. That's like that's a course that every uh, entrepreneur out there needs to take. Yeah. Yeah. That's, what that's are we grabbing stuff. a hold of, and what are we letting slide off of us? You know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, we've we've kind of always had this thing, you know, where it's like, you know, especially in relationships too, especially being married and entrepreneurs right. together, where it's kind of that big, you know, our our rule we were kind of told was like it's going to take. You know, it takes five positives to counteract that one negative. Yep. You know, and yep. like I, I like that though, just trying to, you know, and I think that comes back to like, you know, focusing on gratitude and those types of things. If you can really hold on to those positive experiences and focus on those, that's that's a really great way to yeah. work at well, things. That was gonna be my next question. I had working together question mark. Like <laughs> what 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 has that been like? What how, how have you guys been able to not just do this business, but do it together? I mean, it's never easy. We get that question a lot. And, you know, people go like, it's, you guys are so great. And it seems like it's so easy. And it's like, no, <laughs> it's been rough. It's, it, sure. it's, had its, ups, it's had its ups and downs. Um, you know, I think the positive is that we are definitely, um, we work at things very differently and we focus on very different areas of the business. We've always kind of said that from the very beginning, uh, division of labor, you know, you can't, you know, we've had to struggle early on and I, you know, most of our employees have been with us for a long time now, so they get it, but we used to kind of deal with, um, we'd be like, we're not a two-headed monster. Like you can't tell Will one thing and expect that I know it. You can't, you know, think that I, you can't come to me if it's, you know, something Will's working on. So we struggled with that a lot with just our yeah. employees, you know, getting them to understand like we're two separate people with two separate jobs. And that was something that we very much kind of drew the line early on and also, kind of drew the line with, you have to respect me the same way you would respect any other coworker. Like you have to treat mm. me the same way you would treat another coworker. Like, you know, don't, don't walk past me in the kitchen at dinner time and tell me something like you need to go send me an email so I can deal with it tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, that's, so that's a big boundary for us is like, you treat me like you treat any other coworker. And, you know, if you, you need to deal with it in the same you know manner that you would. And, and, and that's been really, really helpful. Um, it's difficult. Like, I think, you know, we're, we're working more and more on, we shared an office for 15 years, you know, so we moved where wow. two years ago and it was like, I want a separate office. I'm going to be on a different floor from you, you know, hasn't helped you be stuck in a house together for a year. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and I think as any, you know, you know, married or couple entrepreneurs can tell you it's, it is, it's really hard to separate kind of your business frustrations from, your personal frustrations and that's you know a constant work in progress yeah for sure. for sure how about for you will have you have you found any any other boundaries or even ways of thinking about it that have helped you guys keep this healthy and have a both working relationship that has nothing to do with work and a relationship that has everything to do with work yeah i mean lord touched on it's i mean we we've shared the same exact same philosophy here is when we're at work when we're working on stuff up for work we are co-workers yeah. and we've done a really good job of setting those boundaries and then 
you know, when we're home and we're making dinner together, works off the table. At least we try to keep work off the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then, you know, then it's back to husband and wife. Um, and, and I think that's just one of these time things that, that we, you know, we experienced it in the beginning a lot and then had to, you know, kind of really set some ground rules there. And, uh, and, we definitely, and we're not always great at it. We definitely fail sometimes. Of course. Yep. You know, and, you know, and it definitely, it, it can have, you know, it can have a negative effect. And, and I think sometimes there's definitely that, you know, desire of, you know, just separation of time, you know, when you have worked with somebody all day long to be like, you know what, I just, I need, I need to take an hour or two. I need to go just be alone, you know, for a little yeah, bit. So. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Getting right, well, time in. For sure. Is there anything else you guys have found, especially in the pandemic? I feel like that tested all of our skills and knowing how mm-hmm. to uh, continue to be healthy with, with hard, you know, with boundaries and challenges and whatever. It's like, how do we stay mentally sane? How do we stay emotionally sane? How do we stay physically active? Whatever. Um, what have you found, whether it was in the pandemic or even before, that mm-hmm. maybe helps you guys be in the right head, heart, and energy space uh, to keep leading your company? Yeah. I, I think pre-pandemic, like travel was huge for us. And that was especially hard to not be able to um, travel where we were extremely lucky during the pandemic. We, um, we have best friends that have, we have a daughter, a 12 year old daughter, and they have a 12 year old daughter. And we used to travel with them all the time and stuff. And kind of when everything started to shut down, we all decided, well, you know, we're around each other all the time anyways. So we're going to continue to hang out to each other. Our kids would be alone otherwise. Yeah. So we held on to that friendship for, you know, and it was, you know, weekends, we'd, you know, go to their house or they'd come here. So we tried to continue some sort of normalcy with at least having friends and seeing people and staying as active as we could. And we would go, you know, rent a cabin for two weeks just to, you know, get out of the same house. So trying to maintain some sort of normalcy was really good for us. And, you know, continuing to not completely isolate and shut the rest of the world out. I think I, I don't, I don't think we would have done well. Yeah. Had we done that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, and then as far as like, you know, uh, keeping things somewhat normal when it comes to work, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get your Zoom calls and things like that. But I know for myself, um, not that I'm not a micromanager by any means, but it was always nice for me to see people in the office working. And now being remote, and, you know, March 13th or 14th, we sent everybody home. Don't come back. You know, everybody go work remotely. Um, for me, it's been, it was a little bumpy at first because, I, you know, I'm, I want to see people and I want to yeah. see, you know, what are you working on? Things like that. Now we have this level of trust. I see the work getting done. It's still getting done. I don't have to be on top of people. Not that I really was, but um, it's really opened my eyes to, you know, we, we're, we're actively hiring and it's like, I can hire anybody in the, in, in the world. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's really trying. That's really crazy for me. Uh, with, with that concept, you know, we have, we have the, um, somebody on our team that wants to move to Hawaii. It's like, sure, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, we can all still, you know, do this, uh, remotely or on a hybrid schedule going forward. And, and that's been really happening. I can, I don't need to look for talent in my neck of the woods. Now I can look for talent anywhere, man. That's, I think that's super cool. I keep hearing that. I've, I've heard that so many times on this podcast, the eye opening experience was, I, I always assumed I had to look within X amount of radius of, you yeah, know, my headquarters right. and that's 
going to be a limited pool of candidates to find the right fit. And now if I can look anywhere, man, I'm really able to find some rock stars mm-hmm. that really fit our culture and really have the skill we need, you know, simply by a bigger pool of people yeah. to, to, to select from. Now, my curiosity for you guys is how have you, how have you found a few of the key things uh, like accountability, you know, being able to trust, but verify people are doing, you know, their share or how, and, and then the second would be even just connection. Like you said, you miss the connection of, of in-person. Mm-hmm. Have you found, well, just talk to me about that. Like, how have you guys seen that play out now being kind of decentralized? Well, I mean, we, we have our, we have our standing meetings with like, at least all of our, our, our managers and, mm-hmm. and breakout team breakouts, you know, I think I tell everybody on every single call that I, I miss seeing them in person, but um, yeah, I mean, just kind of trying to keep that normalcy is, is the best way for us to go about it. Yeah. yeah. For accountability, it's kind of been like the, you know, the fruits and the pudding type of thing yeah, where, you know, it's, you see the results, you're getting, you know, the questions, you're still getting the emails, you're still end of the day, you know, our clients are still succeeding, you know, the business is growing. Um, and honestly, we have a, you know, we have a ton of our staff is, you know, in their mid thirties, they have young children and they're so happy to be <laughs> home and to not be missing time with their kids. I mean, we've had four employees that have had babies during COVID, yeah. you know, two of our long-term employees had twins during it. Um, and everybody's just been so appreciative that they've, you know, been allowed to kind of function the way they're functioning. And I think that that appreciation is showing in the level of their work. I mean, their work quality has been amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's not, it's not for, for a lot of our team, it's not this nine to five anymore. Mm-hmm. I get emails from people on Sundays at 7 PM and, um, and kind of like Lord touched on the quality of life. I think, you know, with, with, with so many people having small kids, they're home for breakfast, they're home for dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe their escape is to work on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. hundred percent. You, you, you take that in consideration, the time you get back from not having to commute. Um, I think in, you know, overall people are, um, are in a much better, better place and, and more appreciative of the opportunities that they have. Yeah, you guys touched on something that I've seen, and I don't know if it applies to everybody's business or not, but there has been a transition from you got to be here for this many hours for us to feel like you're doing your job to did the result get accomplished, right? right. And the flexibility of like, hey, you know, the more I trust you, like just get your work done, however you want to do it. And I have a guy works for me now that came from like a major consulting firm, and he it's still programmed in the back of his brain. Mm where he'll feel guilty. He'll send me a text like, Hey man, is there any way I could, you know, I need a mental health day or whatever. And I'm like, why are you asking me? I completely completely trust you. Like all I'm going to be looking for is the results. And even if those need to suffer, like just give me a heads up. And if we need to pass something off your plate to somebody else, you know, and it's, but it's rechanging. Like we're no longer in an assembly line where you not being there is a product not getting put together. We're solving creative challenges and we have yeah, projects right. and, you know, similar to y'all's business. Have you seen the same thing? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, think it's, I mean, even pre-pandemic for, for Will and I, we had already kind of 
we weren't sitting in the office nine to five, you know, we had already, you know, we were working remote, we were home, we were taking Fridays off, you know, and honestly, I think for us as owners, it kind of took a huge level of guilt off of us, yeah. you know, yeah. and maybe sometimes we would feel bad for not being there, but it was like, I don't need to go sit in that office. My Everything's done. You know, I'm doing what needs right. to be done, you know, and as the owner, there was, you know, no requirement to go sit in that office. So we weren't doing it. You know, and it's kind of nice now to not have to have any guilt about that anymore. And I know that was a big one for you. Is right. like you would have a lot of guilt about it. And, yeah, yeah, you know, you, ex- you expect everyone to be in the office at 9 a.m. But if I cruise in at 9.15 because I want to stop and get some coffee, yeah. like, I don't want to feel that guilt. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I think, I hope that goes for everybody in the entire company that, mm. man, you, you, you start your work day when you start your work day you know, I trust that you get your hours in, you know, the results are there. Like, yeah. um, I'm, I'm hoping that that's guilt off of everybody's plate. Oh, for sure. And what you see too, is the seasons. So if your work is being more dictated, more dictated by what is actually a priority right now, mm-hmm. that is in my unique ability, like it's on me to get this important thing done for the life of the business. Well, then the seasons where getting that done is done quicker than you'd expect. You have the freedom to to take some time off if you want it and then what you'll notice is also the the next season you might be working longer than you've ever worked you know mm-hmm. because that's what the thing required yeah. and yep. and you're just but you're not being dictated by some arbitrary rule like did right right did i work my 40 hours or 60 hours or it's like no i'm just showing up to the need of the business and sometimes that's less sometimes that was more that's what I found. I don't know if you've seen the same thing. That's that's that, that's a beautiful thing it's too. It's great. I mean, we've definitely. I mean, I guess what's a little bit it's been a little difficult with our business is, is we kind of have a 50-50 where we have half of our business that has been able to go home and work from home, basically on the consulting, advertising, account management side. But we do have a fully operating operating warehouse. Yeah. Stocks. Yeah. So different. we have had half of our staff. Their life has didn't change at all. They showed up to the warehouse and worked every single day. Yep. Um, and that's been an interesting, it's, it, there's always been a divide there between, you know, warehouse staff and office staff, but this is kind of an interesting new world where I don't even, I think that they're just so disconnected at this point that I almost see them as two separate companies. It's, you know, we're, we're incredibly blessed that, um, our general manager is actually my older brother. So he's kind of been the one who's done the every day and showed up nice. every day at the office and you know, kept that entire staff happy and engaged and, you know, not you know upset that they've had to be there. And we, you know, we raised all of their wages and, you know, and, and, you know, the midst, you know, when we were in the thick of the pandemic and stuff. So it's been interesting that we've been able to keep both sides happy. And I really credit my, my brother, our general manager who showed up at 5am every day still, and, you know, worked the hours and yeah. you know, never missed a day through the entire, you know, thing for, you know, keeping that side of the business happy and running also. Yeah. And kudos to, you know, any CEO or owner that has maintained or improved culture yeah. during the past year and a half. Yeah. That's not easy, especially mm-hmm. when you have a workforce that is required to be at, at the site where they're, yeah. I'm sure they're seeing, you know, friends, family, whatever, like, Hey, I get to work from home. Yeah. And they're like, I still have to show up at 5 AM and commute, yeah. <laughs> and I don't get to be with my kids in the morning. I don't see them. Like, so kudos to anybody out there that that's um, that's kept their culture strong. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, great. I'm so glad you guys brought that up about your business because that's why I caveated it early. Like, I don't know if this applies to every business, mm-hmm. and yeah. that would be an example. Like, well, in this part of our business, 
it actually does follow a more like time does kind of equal dollars. Like need right, you there fulfilling right. the, the, the service order and doing the manufacturing. And it's like, that's a different model. And so you got to play that game a little differently than the consulting side, which is more relationship mm -hmm. content creation or project driven kind of work. Right. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this at this stage of the business, like where you guys are pushing towards whatever you're pushing towards is next. What have you experienced or what are you experiencing right now is the biggest challenge you're trying to solve in your business? Wow. That's, I, I mean, <laughs> for, I know we probably each have our own individual yeah. ones. Mm -hmm. Um, for myself trying to hire remotely. I think that's just something I'm so used to conducting interviews in person and things like that. Um, you know, I, I, I've got ads out and I don't know how to even approach and establish trust levels with this whole new, uh, mm -hmm. with this whole new environment. So I, I think that's, that's a big one for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that there's, I mean, yeah, on the internal level, for sure. I think in the, the, the big, big picture of the business, obviously, you know, we're, you know, and I don't, I, I don't ever like calling us an Amazon consulting firm. We're so much more than that. So, you know, we're a, a marketplace consulting, you know, optimization, you know, firm as well as a fulfillment service. So a yeah. lot of things all in one. And I think, you know, on the really big picture for us, growth comes from client acquisition, comes from bringing on larger and larger brands and working with them. And I think, you know, it's really, I think our biggest challenge sometimes can be um, with larger companies, which is what we're really going after now is getting um, complete buy-in from those companies, kind of from leadership down. It's kind of what we're finding is that we need, you know, we need not only the team that works on, you know, marketplaces. So, you know, take a large company and they may have a team that's focused on, you know, getting products sold on Amazon. Sure. Um, we need buy-in from that team, but we need buy-in all the way up to the CEO level is what we're seeing to truly be successful in bringing on um, a large brand as a client, which we can do tremendous things for. Um, it's just when you're working with larger companies and they have kind of the hierarchy. Oh yeah. Getting that buy-in from, you know, the ground up all the way up to the CEO. And we've seen when we can get that, we can, produce amazing results very, very quickly. It's just getting through that red tape. Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah. you know, when you look at our business model, a lot of times we're taking over operations. We're taking over parts of logistics. We're taking over some of marketing. Uh, we're involved with finance and, and accounting. And then, mm -hmm. you know, also involved with, you know, Amazon and marketplaces. So we're touching a lot of these places of the business. Yeah. And so like Laura said, a total buy-in is um, is important for us so yeah. that so that the synergy can flow right. Oh man, yeah. So what we're talking about because you're touching so many critical areas of the business is establishing trust, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you guys think about that? How do you go about establishing enough trust that they would turn a lot of those things over to you? I think a lot of it comes down to a validating each one of those departments in saying finance, we need you marketing. We still need you. Let's work together and not coming. Like we're going to take over what you do. It's more of like, let's hold hands and skip down the road together. Um, I, I think that's one logistics. Hey, your logistics is doing awesome. We're just here to help. We always yeah. say, you know, Hey, you guys are the quarterback. We're your team. Um, so I think there's a lot of things is just make, making sure that they still feel 
validated and empowered. Yeah. Um, and not that we're coming in there and going to shake things up and, and run the joint. Yeah. In terms of the actual like sales process and cycle, where do you enter at a company like that? Like, where's the first conversation? Because there's, like you said, there's so many decision makers. Yep. Where do you guys have a strategy of like, we typically try to reach out or find this kind of person at a company first, and then we build a relationship up or down or around. How, how do you guys think about that? You know, it's kind of funny. Um, we were just talking about this the other day. Um, I would say 90% plus of our new clients are coming through referrals. Uh, we don't really have a strong outbound um, lead gen or, or marketing. So, but um, generally, I think you know, historically it was it was starting at the bottom up, and and lately it's been a lot of CEOs um, and COOs looking to change the way their business runs. So and that obviously works a lot better. It's, that works a lot better, and that's where top down works a lot better. <laughs> you get the, you know, the CEO or the vice president of marketing or digital to buy in. It's a lot easier to you know they're going to just everybody else has to come along. That's you know the easiest way to do it. So for sure. Yeah, thank goodness that so much of it is referrals. Referrals. So we're getting referred to the CEO. We're getting referred to you know the vice president of digital that type of thing. So um, it's been nice. I think a lot of the conversations recently have have been really productive because of that. Right. I I, I, yeah. I think if we were outbound marketing and trying to acquire new businesses, mm-hmm. um, it's a, then it's it's a lot. That's a that's a lot more difficult. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I mean, have you yeah. found certain certain types of businesses, size, business, whatever responds quickly or more quickly to you. And the the sales cycle is smaller. So I think, you know, who responds the best with us are the brands that know that they have an issue. Like, Hey, we have a problem that we need to solve. Yeah. And that's when we're all on board and we're all synergized together. I don't want to go in and sell a company on why they should use us. Yep. They need to recognize that they have an issue and that pulls down all the barriers. And then we can have um, a legitimate, straightforward conversation about how do we make those changes together? Yeah. And and I mean, I think some of the things that are really, you know, kind of push people in that direction is either they're seeing price disruption on Amazon. So whether or not, you know, Amazon themselves is selling the product as a one P or they have unauthorized sellers that are selling it. So price disruption, if they feel like, Hey, I have a product and it's being you know, sold at a price where it shouldn't be on Amazon. That's a big driver yeah. um, as well as, I mean, that's probably the biggest driver actually. Yeah, and, one thing we always preach yeah. is, you know, as, as, you know, as, as a brand strategist, you need to own your brand online, you know, and that's content, your pricing, you know, you should own, especially online, you should own all of your direct consumer sales. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then who is and are they representing your brand correctly and accurately and how you would want it to be, you know? So, you know, we always preach, take control over your brand, especially online. It's super. um, Where do you start? Where do you start? If if someone's listening right now and they're like, I don't think I have control over my brand. (laughs) Where where do you start? You you start on Amazon. Amazon for sure. Uh, Most major retailers are going to, you know, if, if you're looking to get into a major retailer, they want to they want to they want to see that you have control over your brand on Amazon. They want to be able to see that oh, you know, oh, you're telling us that uh, we can sell this at your MSRP or your map pricing. Well, let's prove it. What, what's it look like on Amazon? 
do you have a bunch of resellers? You know, if you're supposed to be selling this widget for $79.99, I can buy it on Amazon for $56. What, you know, you, you, you know, you got, you got, you got some uh, bad disruption there and yeah. you're going to lose your brand integrity. And yeah. then we see that happen day after day and we can actually pinpoint businesses breaking and falling apart, losing distribution partners um, just because of Amazon. So if yeah. you don't have control of Amazon, uh, it's not, it's going to be a very bumpy road for you. For sure. What do you guys do about, or how do you think about knockoffs? Right? Like I remember TRX, I remember hearing the story about TRX. They almost went out of business. You know, the, the workout bands. Yeah. That, that guy almost went out of business because people started knocking it off. I mean, there were way less quality and whatever, but undercutting his prices and, he had to do, I think he had even fight some legal battles to yeah. for the trademark and for whatever. Um, what how, have you guys seen that? Is that a huge problem for a lot of people selling on Amazon? And what, what could they do about it? Yeah, so I and I think this kind of breaks into two different things. One, when you get a complete ripoff, okay, somebody who's claiming that they're selling, say, for this instance, the TRX band, yeah, okay, there's great Amazon does provide avenues to have those people removed, especially if you have a registered trademark. Yep. So make sure that your brand is registered with USPTO. That's, you know, if you, if, you, if you aren't already, get involved in the process. It does take, you know, six months, sometimes a year. So that's number one. Number two, you're always going to have fast follows. And what I mean by that is if you come out with a great product and it's unique to you, there will be competition soon. Sure. You know, if you have a patent, there'll be workarounds. So, you know, thinking that you're going to be the only show in town forever not going to happen. So with that in mind, and if you can accept that, then it really comes down to branding. You know, it's not price, you know, brands have a higher price a higher sales price than what we'll call, you know, uh, a fast follower, a knockoff because they've put in the marketing dollars to establish a brand. Yeah. And you can't do that enough. Uh, making sure that your brand is, is, is well-known um, is reputable and has, you know, good quality. Um, you know, some, some of the, the biggest brands in existence today have always followed that. They're not the cheapest. Um, they do have a lot of competition, but they're the go-to name for that, you know, that particular product or that particular line of product. Yeah. So, but, you know, put, don't discount your product. I, I'm never a believer in that. If you're going to discount your product, put that money into advertising, put it into marketing. Um, that, that, that's right. That's what I, that's what I say. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It feels like a good challenge to the BS business. <laughs> hey man, quit bitching and just make your product better. Like right, right. <laughs> get that brand, get that brand dominance, right? Like where exactly. your quality, your where you, the trust or the whatever yeah. is they go to you, even if there was a cheaper product elsewhere, because they trust you. Um, man, I thought about this story that actually my business partner's father just shared with us. And it was about YoPlay. And mm -hmm. apparently back in the day, some French company, um, that owned YoPlay negotiated with American Distribution and this company wanted to buy YoPlay basically and wrap it into their big brand. They bought all the warehouses, all the people, all the trucks, all the yogurt, like everything that came with it, right? They had a two-year deal, I think, and they came to the table at the end of the two years to renegotiate. And they said, uh, yeah, we'd love to renegotiate. Just so you know, you don't actually own the, the word or the brand YoPlay. You just own the equipment. Oh. And they were like, what? <laughs> and they were like we don't own the play like no look at your contract you only own the equipment 
And so they, they sold them a second time. And this time they had to pay more for mm-hmm. the word yo play yeah. than they had paid for all of the trucks and the equipment. Right. That's there you go. Money. That's, that's because the they knew. Right? Yeah. Because they knew like, it's not the trucks and the equipment. It's, it's, it's like, it's the people know the word yo play and associate yeah. it with yogurt. And we yeah. have to have that. We can't just buy the infrastructure. And so they paid out yeah. the butt for that. I mean, it's dirty mm-hmm. that they did that, but at the same time, it proves case, the point, right? Case in point. Exactly. Exactly mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. Super relevant story. I love that. How, so how do you guys think about this? Cause most people as they're growing their business, think about price, right? Yep. And often it's a race to the bottom. And then you realize like, well, that sucks to, you know, like to race <laughs> yeah, to the bottom right. price margin wise. Do you really want to be known as the cheapest? What are some other things if they're like, that's not going to be our competitive advantage is being the cheapest. Where do they think next? Is it quality? Is it customer relations? How do you guys think about that? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Um, All of it. Quality, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in this age, I think imaging, you know, your digital assets yeah. um, are, are, are need to go really far. They need to be very clear, concise. Um, you know, I think when you're also when you're creating content for the internet, make sure it's not only, you know, well, we all know what SEO is, but make sure it's convertible. Like when somebody reads that, they're going to be convinced. And it's like, yes, I want to buy that. That mm. makes sense. You know, um, you know, n- n- videos, 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 videos. Uh, you can't have it enough. Show how it works. Show, works. yeah, you know, show the quality. Um and just keep it clean. Yeah, I was. It always makes me think of like you know, like a, I don't know, a cheesy infomercial kind of in a way where it's like you know, you take something like I don't know, pick a sham wow, I don't know, and you just throw that up on Amazon with you know, no video or no marketing. You yeah, you're gonna buy it. No, you know, you put a cheesy you know infomercial out there and look how much water it soaks up and wring it out and stuff, and well, now you want to buy it. Yeah, I bought one at college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the infomercial in college. I was like, I got, I got a sham wow. Yeah. Super cool. When you guys are meeting, let's say with an ideal customer, like they got a problem. You're like, we are poised to solve that problem. What do you find is the primary thing that you end up helping with helping them with? Is there a common thing? Like we're always, we're always usually starting here with them. Yep. Uh, yeah. And that can, that kind of go, has lots of veins to it. Right. Sure. Because we solve one problem. Okay. Let's help your Amazon business. Let's get you to, to map or to MSRP. And it's like, oh, we have leaks in our supply chain. Okay. Well, let's go look at your reseller agreements, your distribution agreements. What does that look like? Um, you know, and it's, and it's like, oh, we need, we want to focus on getting more sales. Oh, well, let's look at your marketing. It, there's so many veins to it. And, and honestly, it, it, really starts with with looking at your Amazon business. It's a good judge of how a brand is doing is is by like how they're operating on 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 Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, this is so cool. The more I've gotten to poke around your business, uh, again, going back to the story, it's like it's no it's no question why you're successful. You guys have <laughs> have figured some shit out and are are really doing something great. I'm learning about marketing. I'm learning about uh, the ins and outs of your business. I'm super excited about this. Um, so guys, thanks for, for sharing with us. I'm going to jump into the lightning round questions now. Right. Since we got two of you, here's what I think I'll do. I'll start with one of you. And we'll ping pong back and forth through the questions. So you each get a crack at a question. So question number one, 
Laura, I'll start with you. Yep. If you could ingrain one message into the entire organization, what would that message be and why? Um, I think for us, the thing that we found time and time again is follow processes, put processes in place and follow them and make sure they're being followed. And if they're not, you know, hey, you know, Joe and warehousing didn't follow step one through five. Sorry, Joe, we're not going on to step six. Go back and fix it. You know, that's what yeah. we found over and over again is the processes need to be in place and you need to make sure that your team is following them and then constantly improving upon them also. Love that. Love that. All right. Will, question number two. What is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst? Cool. Let me start with the worst. The worst advice is grow your top line. <laughs> I hate that. I absolutely hate that. Yeah. As entrepreneurs, we all know it's all about the bottom line. Uh, top line is just strictly a vanity number. Yep. For if you got to prove something, don't like it. Um, best advice is focus on what you do really well and what you really love. For, for everything else, find a partner that loves what they do and can complement those areas that you lack in. That, Come on. You know, you know, if you if you're that that partner that loves what you do, and you are matched up with somebody else who loves what they do, and you guys have some synergy there, work together. I love doing that. that that's it feels so good. Yeah, that's a, that's the, my, me and my business partner. He is that. I'm so glad he loves doing what he does. You know, it's complementary to our business. But yep. I don't want to do it. I yeah, don't want to exactly, do it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Question number three, uh, Laura. What yep. causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? And this will be a two-part because I'd like to hear Will's answer on this as well. Okay. Um, we're going to have the same answer, I, I think. Yeah, we're going to have the same okay. answer. I, I think that's, you know, this, it, I, I think especially because we're dealing with clients, I think the most stress is just making sure that everyone who's coming in contact with our clients is basically portraying the exact same values and, um, you know, basically putting our company, the best foot forward all the time to all of our clients and yeah. making sure that, you know, as a, as an organization, we don't look bad because we have one employee who's, you know, back to not following processes and, you know, isn't making us look good. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and, that's yeah. and how many people just, I always ask this in the interview, I forget yeah. to ask you, how many people are total involved in the organization? We have 40 employees. Okay. And how's that split up between warehouse employees and the creative side? It, it, it's about half and half. half and half. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Question number four. What is, uh, Will, we'll do this for you. What is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? That is going to be global domination in fulfillment <laughs> and Amazon services. And we're on, we're on the right track. We, I, we're working with about 15 different Amazon, um, Amazon sites internationally right now. Um, but man, there's so much outside of the U S that, uh, that we want to capture. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's our goal is, is really global domination. What we do, we do it great in the U S but now, um, 2020, 2021, we're looking at the rest of the world. Yeah. <laughs> did y'all ever, did y'all ever see the cartoon Ren and Snippy? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Back in the day when yeah. you said global domination, maybe yeah. think of the beginning. <laughs> We said, what are we going to do today, Ren? And he goes, what we do every day is to be try to take over the world. <laughs> That's Love beautiful. It. All right. This question is going to be for both of you. Okay. Start with you, Laura. If you could yeah. hop into a DeLorean, go back <laughs> to the past, and you get yeah. to tell yourself just one thing, 
out yeah. the driver's side window as you drive by, when would you go back and what would you tell that younger version of yourself? Oh, goodness. I would go back to 2014, I think it was around then. And I'd say don't overspend on inventory. Be, be a lot more cautious about inventory spend and that everything's not a linear uh, path up. Yeah. <laughs> so just better asset management when it came to that. I mean, yeah. And that's my biggest fear to this day. And, um, you know, luckily our new business model, we don't, we don't own inventory anymore, but I know so many business owners struggle with, you know, I always say you can't eat inventory. So be really careful. So good. That was actually a, a similar business model to you guys in terms of this person having his own distribution and warehouse kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That was his as well. He yeah. got in some serious trouble over buying inventory and then yeah. didn't sell it and all that kind of stuff. You, you know? see it way, you see it way too often. Yeah. Awesome. How about for you, Will? Shoot. That was mine too. Asset <laughs> management. Man, I, I was the worst at that. The worst. And, I mean, and, the worst. And, 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 <laughs> you know, and I, and I definitely sometimes blame myself for the fall of our cell phone accessory brands when I could see, um, I could see sales dropping. And in my mind, I'm like, I need more inventory and more SKUs to make up that gap. Yeah. And I should have looked at the data and said, things are dropping. Now's the time to, you know, really, really look at your assets and make sure that, that, that we're not overspending. Yeah. So, absolutely. hundred percent. That's like, yeah, we, we, we live by that now is can't eat inventory. You so know, good. Inventory doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yep. Awesome. Well, guys, this has been so fun. Thank you for taking time to be on here today. Share it with us, your story, your struggle, your triumph. Uh, I've learned a bunch. I know our audience has as well. So thank you again for being here. Thank well, you so thank much. You so much really appreciate it. it. Good job, man. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.